Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up on the political stories that we've been covering on One News. And we're coming to you live from the legendary Beehive studio. What's been happening? Ah, it's been kind of an interesting little week. It's actually yeah, really it has nice been. to be back sitting again after a two-week recess. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it got a bit quiet there for a while. And yeah. so uh, we even had to have an absence of the podcast last week because Shocking. it got too quiet. But now the three of us we are back, back together. Last time, though, very sad. Andrea Vance is moving on. But um, nice. So are you. So, yeah, but nice to have all three of us. You'll have to have me for a bit longer. The yet, last sorry. hurrah, shall we <laughs> so say. The last, yeah. Last, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's been great. Um, fuel tax was the big one we sort of started off with this week. Yeah, great story. Let's have a look at my trick from Monday. A hike in fuel tax hikes the price of everything, hitting hardworking Kiwis here. This is the and National here, Party attack here, ad on fuel here, tax. Here, here, here and here. Simon Bridges is now promising to ditch Auckland's regional fuel tax if it gets into power in 2020. The tax is not needed. The enforcement is complicated and it will hit you in the back pocket. He wants to stop Aucklanders contributing their fair share. Today, the Auckland Council gave the green light for a regional fuel tax. Fifteen councillors voted in favour and two against. Doing nothing is not an option. The regional fuel tax in Auckland will cost an extra 11.5 cents a litre. But don't forget there's also a nationwide fuel tax. That's at least 9 cents a litre. So Aucklanders are set to pay an extra 20 cents a litre. We asked Aucklanders, is this fair? Why should we pay twice just because we live in Auckland City? My view is Auckland gets a good deal out of the rest of the country. If I was honest about it, I would say I was unhappy, but I think that it's one of those things that we need to put up and shut up because we use the roads. Oh, we're not happy. And you know where we live? We live at Orewa. So if we're going to the town and you think the kilometre, and so we're paying a lot. So what will Aucklanders end up paying? A typical Auckland family will have to pay around $700 extra a year. Simon Bridges is just making it up. MB estimate that the combination of the petrol excise increase and the regional fuel tax will cost the average family no more than $250 a year. We'll start to see the costs when the regional fuel tax becomes law in July. The next step is the nationwide fuel tax set to kick in in September. So some big developments out of that story there. The council obviously giving it the green light to go ahead and the national coming out and saying, actually, you know what, guys, if we get into power, we're going to get rid of it. So turning it again into a political stunt. But it makes Aucklanders mad. They're going to have to pay at least another 20 cents a litre for petrol. And that's a big deal for a lot of people, especially as we heard on that track there, people that commute. Absolutely, but then... If you live in Wellington, you pay 20 cents more than Aucklanders, if not more already. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot more than that. And that's the argument. Yes. And you don't benefit from that roading infrastructure. At all. So why not? Because because that's the other thing, I guess, with my Auckland um, born and bred hat on. You, it's the biggest city. If Auckland does well, the rest of the country Absolutely. does well. Absolutely, it's an economic powerhouse. So, yeah, you again, yeah, you're You know, you're if, you, if you choose to live in Auckland, you know now that you're going to be paying that extra for your petrol, but you know it's going to something you're most likely to use. If you live in Auckland, you do tend to drive around various parts of it and whatever road it goes on, you will get the benefit whatever it goes on, you'll get the benefit. 
But I guess of if it. you sit in Wellington. But if Wel- I sit here in Wellington and I'm paying 30 cents more, if I'm paying 30 cents more, at least I'd feel like it was going towards something. But, it, <laughs> but I guess than- if you're sitting here in Wellington and let's say you order something, um, I know you have a little penchant for um, online shopping if it Not comes me, in yeah. from Auckland, <laughs> and then the roads are clearer because they're, you yep, know, then yep. it comes to you quicker. So in that way, it does affect you, you know? Is there an argument, though, that, that the cost should be spread across the entire population, the entire economy, if you like, the entire working population? Because everyone, as you say, benefits from the infrastructure. It is in our interests to have a good transport network. We need to get our emissions down, so we need good public transport. So isn't there an argument that perhaps everyone, at the end of the day, should pay? And the burden shouldn't come on... on you know, the people in South Auckland who really can't afford not to drive but now are in a position where they can't afford to and drive to work. And tend to drive yeah. further away to get to work and so yeah. forth. And ca- and don't have great access to public transport. It's sort of because a of, it's vicious a, circle. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, isn't there an argument that everyone that everyone should pay? Um, and that seems to be suggest what National are suggesting that... Labour's plan is ultimately because they've left a little trapdoor or loophole, if you like, in the legislation to allow them to, to extend it to extend these charges. Mm. So maybe that's the plan all along. And Which, national, um, it's an easy argument for them. They're using it in the North Coast by-election. It's good timing in that sense because if you live across the bridge, uh, you uh, uh, the public transport across there is getting better with buses and ferries and so forth. You don't have trains. Uh, there's no sign of a second harbour crossing being built anytime soon. So in terms of that politicking in that area, it's a good argument for them at the moment. Um, do we really believe they'd scrap it or not use it when they were in government? Well, they they had introduced national fuel charges. So I, I think I feel like I wish we could get out of this constant um, partisan bickering about you want to put on a tax, you want to take off tax, um, and really have a wider debate about the the, the, the ageing. Well, the ageing and lack of infrastructure. It's been New Zealand's infrastructure has been neglected for decades now, and it's not it. Auckland isn't really a 21st century city and New Zealand isn't, in terms of its infrastructure, it isn't a 21st century country. So maybe if we could stop just having these petty arguments about cents here and there on tax, maybe we could have a wider, greater debate and more vision around how we're going to deal with these massive infrastructure problems. Well, this has long been my argument about successive governments and councils have let Aucklanders down by refusing to be willing to put the money and the capital into these projects and taking the risk on some of these projects. And, you know, we're finally seeing the city rail link, but it's been decades that those projects have been talked about and no-one's been brave enough to say, actually, we need to do it. Imagine if they'd done it 30 years ago and we wouldn't be in this situation if people had been willing to put the money into that infrastructure mm-hmm. and upgrade it. Sure. We end up on an elect- every electoral term having to have these arguments where we chop and change rather than committing to something. Mm. Should we segue from one tax to another tax? <laughs> you love a good and segue. Yeah, I do <laughs> love a good segue and I think about it beforehand as well. So should we go? And then when you said about the petty politics <laughs> thing, I was like, oh, I'm about to say something that's going to sound petty, but never mind. From one tax to another tax, here is Andrea's track on the Amazon tax. Do you love picking up an online bargain? Well, that could be about to change. Every single book, every single, every single customer in the store pays GST. Now, if they went online and bought it offshore, they wouldn't pay GST, and we just think that's unfair. So the government says it's going to even things up, asking popular overseas websites to collect 15% GST from customers from next year. Conservative estimates are about 75% of retailers will comply. The move has made local business owners happy. 
that certainly uh, is making it hard to do business, uh, it's squeezing jobs and it's um, squeezing local businesses. It's not a silver bullet uh, for booksellers and other small retailers in terms of um, price and so on, but it does take away that 15% impost um, from bookshops and other small retailers before they even open their doors. But what about the customer? I think it's good to support local. It probably would stop me buying things outside of the country um, just because of that, that tax. Things are too expensive in New Zealand, which is why people do online shopping, so I don't think 15% is going to make a huge amount of difference to that. So are New Zealand consumers getting ripped off? Revenue Minister Stuart Nash bought this book today. OK, I paid $60 for this. But online it costs just over $43. Add GST and it's still more than $10 cheaper from the international online site. One of the issues facing New Zealand retailers is that we are as a nation relatively small and that means that retailers here often don't have the scale that you do if you are a, a, a mega business overseas. Whichever way you shop, it's now the tax man who's getting the best deal. The move will bring in an extra $53 million a year in revenue. That rises to $87 million a year in 2022. The Minister of Finance is very happy with the way it's worked out. The government hoping the move is also well received by consumers. All right, great. So from one tax to another tax, the um, so-called Amazon tax. Um, and I guess these big internet companies are the new villains that we love to hate. Um, are you okay, easy. Katie? Is it going to be all right? 50% um, is a lot yeah, for you, lot. Yeah. how much you spend. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's an easy tax for the government, right? Because it's it's an easy way for them to get a, get a bit of revenue. It's long been signaled. National is going to look at doing it as well. It's the I guess it's the... Uh, it's the details of how they actually do it and if it's going to work and make a difference yeah. that's interesting. I mean, as you say, it's a no-brainer. National had already done the work. Um, it was it was going to happen. It's in line with what Australia are doing. Other countries are grappling with this issue, this issue of the sort of global internet, worldwide web economy. It is. Re it was. Uh, it was hard to get head around the details of how it's actually going to work because the government just wasn't very clear on how they're going to convince these companies to sign up. 75% um, compliance if you... Um You'd be asked to register if you do business more than sixty of sixty thousand uh, dollars in a year, but it's it is sort of an honesty system, a voluntary system, if you like. And and it's you know if if a big company doesn't want to comply, the government can't really go after them. And they're grappling with it in Australia as well at the moment. They're a bit ahead of us, so mm. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for them, and then what we can pick up on that as well. But it's complicated. It's it not a simple system. And do do and we think that the government rushed it because they wanted to be seen to be trying to get more revenue ahead of the budget and so they've gone, okay, let's go ahead with, and do it rather than well, let's try I and get they did some want more an details. Easy, yeah. It's an easy... Yeah, I think they wanted an easy announcement. But the tax working group have had a look at it. The government had asked them to just you know, run a ruler over it and the tax working group said, yeah, go ahead with it. And as you say, Australia were doing it. But, yeah, it just... It's not, and it's not a huge, it's not a massive amount of money either. You know, I, I wonder um, the compliance costs with it and the effort it's going to take to to get that revenue back. I mean, fifty three million dollars in the first year, rising to a hundred million when it's fully implemented. I mean, it's in terms of the government, it's chump change. I wonder as well with the timing of it, it's not amazing because you had the fuel tax on Monday saying mm, oh, Labor's yeah. going to tax and even though National was going to do this too, it's another tax yeah. and it just, it just it adds to brings the it back of... in people's minds as well. So it is another tax but it's pretty hard to argue Absolutely, but do you know what I mean? Like the, the, if you look at it broad, 
brush. It's just not great timing this week no. when people are a bit mad. True, true. But I mean, it, it gets things going. We it's two weeks now until Grant Robertson delivers his first budget, and we've had lots of little hints this week. He gave a speech um, hinting at some of his uh, his intentions and saying, look, hold on guys, don't get too excited. Things may take a little bit longer than we thought. Really managing expectations. Yeah, and done they it for been, a long time. Yeah, they've been doing that for weeks. I mean, it was interesting that he, he said that they've managed to free up $1.4 over four years mm-hmm. in spending by reprioritizing um, bits and pieces and here. Mostly reprioritizing so means cutting. I mean, they use, yeah. Yeah, or it means getting rid of some exhaust, sort of service or something. You know, a large chunk nice of that. <laughs> a large chunk of that is from the irrigation yeah, fund. Of course. But, so but things that they yeah. clearly signaled. But... Um, but really, really, I think where they're getting themselves into sticky territory is is around these budget responsibility rules, and, yeah. and if it's really hard for them to argue that things are terrible in health and education, and we just can't afford to do it all, when you know you've you've kind of put out some lavish promises there, like the. Mm-hmm. Um, free GP visits. Yeah, well, yeah, but also the the free education, yeah, which yeah. now on the you know if things are really as bad as they say in health, then it's really hard to justify a policy that gives an awful lot of money essentially just to middle class again. Yeah. So that you know it's it's a really um, it's it's a big budget for Grant Robertson. You know, it's his first one. It's a big vision about you know setting out where they're going to go for the next few years. But but he, there's a lot of um, interesting stuff to negotiate. They've got themselves into a bit of a bind on it. It'll be interesting, they've got, um, it'll be a big housing related announcement later in the week. Um, Phil Twyford has been calling for, uh, he wanted to build 2,000 more state houses a year and I can't see that having got through cabinet I, I may be proved wrong later in the week but I think when it comes to where they have to make their decisions, things like that are going to be those sort of some of those big longer term promises that they, they have these big visions for. Those mm-hmm. ministers have all had to go away and say okay what can I not do now? But and they're going to have little bitsy things. But well, also, also to throw money at New Zealand first, just to keep them sweet. Yes. And to, yeah. I mean, we, we hear that they're going to do well out of the budget. I mean, that's going to be pretty hard to justify when your election promise, when you've sold your entire government on investing in health and education, and then you're giving any little bits to so Shane. And Grant Robertson was at pains to point out, look, it's not just Labour anymore. It's we've got to take into account our coalition partners as well. But come on, surely before the election. It, you were never going to. They were never going to govern alone. Um, and if they did, you know, happy days. But you've got to plan for those worst case scenarios. He argues that he did, but obviously they're having to give them. And, and then the greens, the green technology fund will get will get some money as well. And conservation, conservation, and they'll money. be looking where in the coalition agreements they can match up with New Zealand First policies and green policies, so that Labor still looks like they're getting some wins, but mm. also keeps. Mm. Them sweet, and that's what you but know. Money for MFAT for foreign affairs is an easy one. It keeps Winston happy. But it's essentially, I mean, it's essentially port barrelling for Absolutely. your support partners. And and when you're declaring crisis in housing and health, I don't, mm. I'm not sh- I'm not sure that it's I, I'm not sure that you can make the argument that things are things are in you're in dire straits financially when you're when you're handing out money to keep to keep your support parties. I yeah. just can't help thinking Pulling that up. there will be many ministers and MPs in Labour who now regret that tertiary, free tertiary policy. Oh, I just think they'll go, we had to do it, but big money. We Their defence mm, of it yeah. is, is increasingly half-hearted, yeah. I think. Mm, I think they, well, yeah. Speaking of Winston Peters, he will be taking over when Jacinda Ardern leaves to go on maternity leave. leave. I see where this you're is going. Another <laughs> I also did a story on the Prime Minister's pregnancy, talking about it, big picture, and what it will mean. So have a look at this track.
The Prime Minister is due to have her first baby in seven weeks. My plan is to make sure I'm doing the job I've been elected to do. Um, of course, the uh, vast majority of people in the workforce are doing exactly what I will be doing very soon, and that is multitasking. We asked, how do you think becoming a parent will affect Jacinda Ardern's performance as Prime Minister? Nearly two-thirds say it will make no difference. 18% say her performance will be worse than it is now, 15% think it'll be better, 6% don't know and 1% refuse to answer. There is still a, a section of society which holds old-fashioned views. Should it impact the way she does her job? Of course not. Experts say the Prime Minister is a role model for working women. Seeing her adequately and brilliantly do her job whilst being a mum and being pregnant. It's perfect. It's just because we're not used to seeing it. And this is why all those images of Jacinda, you know, jet-setting and, and mixing with high-level royalty and high-level politicians, whilst pregnant, is so powerful. We put that to the Prime Minister. I'm no superwoman, and I wouldn't want to give that impression, the fact that I'm able to um, do what I'm doing and um, um, be a mother at the same time is because I have a, a huge amount of support around me. The Prime Minister is set to work up until her due date of June 16th. She'll then have six weeks at home. Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters will step in. But should we be talking about the pregnancy at all? The ideal world would be that you can leave it alone and that it's not a topic for discussion. But the reality is this is so rare, she's only the second Prime Minister to have a baby whilst in office, that you can't ignore it. But I do hope one day it won't be unusual. For now though, the Prime Minister accepts it's part of the deal. So, quite a delicate topic to talk about here because obviously it's a fact the Prime Minister um, is having a baby and will be leaving Winston Peters in charge for a few weeks but the fact that we're even talking about it as a story I guess um, is is a topic that is up for debate should we as a media just be leaving it and I, I think make I think we have to remember when we say Winston's going to be left in charge, he's going to be the Prime Minister and that he'll hold press conferences and he'll be seen as the head of state. But Cabinet is going to be... He won't. Be, he can't get anything through without going through Cabinet or doing anything. Sorry, so what I was meaning uh, more I is... I know, it's... Yeah, I just... I think yeah. there's a lot of concern, people going, oh, the country's going to go to rack and ruin once Winston Peters in charge. And all of a sudden... Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that he's somehow <laughs> going to Winston. all of a sudden change every policy and everything's going to be totally different. I think most people around this country aren't going to notice a but single I mean, thing a different from media him being perspective, a prime minister. Should we even be really? Should this even be noteworthy? Because should we just be carrying on and should we be taking it in our stride? You know. See, I, I don't. I think no. I think it was interesting when it happened. It was a huge story, massive story. Um, should we be dwelling on it now? When she has the baby, yes, it'll be a big political story. When Winston takes over, it'll be a big political story. Um, but. You know, we've had months and months and months of this, and mm. I, frankly, I'm kind of sick of it, overshadowing everything she does. Mm. The Europe trip should have been... Um, it about should have been policy. about foreign policy. It should have been about the absolutely monumentous things that are happening in Europe at the moment that will affect New Zealand, such as Brexit, such as the issues with Russia, such as Syria. And instead it was like, ooh, look at her in her dress and she's pregnant and glowing. Isn't she fantastic? And I just, it, oh, it, it drives me insane. It, for me, in terms, of, in terms of media coverage, 
leave it to the women's magazines for now. Once she's ha once she has the baby, then we can go back to talking about it if it impacts on politics. But I really, I really, I really actually resent the way that it started to um, impinge on our reporting of everything. You know, and I, when I was when I was doing the story, one of the things that I wanted to be really delicate in the way that we did it is making sure that it's about um, her as a leader. Um, and the way it affects that rather than her, you know, rather than being pregnant. And, and that was the, the question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that um, it shouldn't, you know, the, the, the question w whether it will affect her leadership. No, of course it won't. But I guess when we were talking to people and asking, you know, should we be doing this? Even she admitted, look, I get that it's rare. I get that it's very rare for us to see women, particularly in these leadership and positions of power, out there on the world stage, and I get it. But would I rather just carry on with my job? Sure. Mm. And I think that's the takeaway. And I think she'd find it frustrating, people just being interested in her dress and her shoes and if she's wearing slippers or not, mm. because actually she is a new prime minister, a young prime minister in a new government facing some tough times and some and tough with, decisions. With big and the and Yeah, mm. and the focus should be on that. And she would... She She'll be wanting that focus as well. She knows well, that well, they she know because it, I mean it is a great it is a great syrupy honeymoon. Well, story. I guess I mean she should be wanting the focus to be on yeah, that rather I, than the. I, th I think her spin doctors are quite happy with it. You know, it's 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 a easy story for people to get their heads around. It makes her popular and interesting, but really they don't have to answer any tough questions. Maybe she doesn't like it or she's not that happy about it. But I think her spin doctors. I are, think when you say she doesn't have to answer any tough questions, that's not coming from us. No, no, the no, idea, no, the idea. That. Is the idea that you know, like that, that overshadows how we report or do things is, mm. is I think, what you need to be. Yeah, we want to be careful of. Right? I guess That's even though it is new for um, the prime minister, there have been high-profile um, cases of women being pregnant in parliament before. Um, we fished out this track um, of Ruth Richardson and um, have a look at this. It's really interesting. They call it Siberia this outpost of Parliament buildings, countless corners and corridors away from the centre of action. But it's here that an old opposition office has been turned to previously undreamt of use. Ruth Richardson hasn't really forgiven the opposition for not granting her automatic leave of absence until her baby's weaned, but she is satisfied that at last she has a place where Lucy and her full-time nanny can keep a few of the trappings of home and the gifts of colleagues like the George Gear teddy bear, blue naturally. Circumstances dictate during the first session that she must be here so that my vote maintains for the government its majority. As soon as the first session ends, the problem disappears. And as for Lucy, well, she's either blissfully happy with the new arrangement or at least she's decided to keep her thoughts to herself. All right, well, a little blast in the past, but it was lovely to have you with us. Uh, this was Inside Parliament, your weekly catch-up on the political stories we've been covering on One News, and that was really subtle. Thank you. <laughs> I had <laughs> such a good surprise for that as well. And it was just so fast. Um, it oh was, of guys. course, Andrea's last podcast in her last yeah. week with us, so... Um, oh, and orange little lily. flowers. Yeah. These have big significance in Northern Ireland, but I'm not going to go into that. Yes, <laughs> orange and green in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, this, oh, um, guys, we're really going to miss Andrea. I've had, how many years have we had working together? Three, Three years. years. Three years yeah. here. Although together, we're so much longer in the Much gallery. longer in the press gallery together. Yeah. Um, we've and done so, lots of cool trips. Yeah, we've done some, yeah, we've, we've been to Myanmar, yes, Cambodia. We've done a few interesting trips as well. A few interesting hotspots. That's for another podcast though. Um, so Andrea has been an um, incredible um, asset to our team and, and um, Aww, obviously well, a very good friend of all and of ours will, as well. I've loved so every, every moment. You guys are going to go into bigger and better things. Obviously 
Katie I'm off is... to Europe for a month on holiday, so that's why you won't see me I'll, for a while. I'll just I'll be stay back. here. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I guys. will be back uh, here in the podcast and so forth for a while yet. So. But I feel like you should read the outro, like, oh. in, and in your big, you know, like, big TV voice. For the <laughs> last time. Yeah. <laughs> that, lo- that beloved Irish accent. Northern yeah. Irish accent. Worst <laughs> accent in the country, as someone helpfully pointed out oh, on Twitter. Oh, we never got... One day someone called Andrew and I Dumb and Dumber, and we did want to get... We were t- going to get the yeah, T-shirts. Yeah, we were going to get T-shirts made up that said Dumb and Dumber. So thank you to that fan. We couldn't work out who was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Our former political editor, Corin Dan, decided he was dumbest, so I don't know what that makes, Jess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the outro. <laughs> nice segue. All right, it was lovely again to have you with us. We, we have been Inside Parliament, which is our weekly catch-up on all the stories that we've been covering on One News. Um, it's available every Thursday evening on your favourite podcasting app. For the last time, thank you. Thank, thank you. you.